If you would turn to 2 Timothy this morning, we're going to be in the second half of chapter 2 in 2 Timothy. Uh, We are moving kind of verse by verse through the pastoral letters this school year. And so we'll pick up today right where we left off last week, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Before we get to our passage, I want to start with an Old Testament story from Numbers chapter 16. You don't need to turn there, uh, but the story is the infamous, the famous story known as Korah's Rebellion. Some of you probably know the infamous story of Korah's Rebellion. Others of you will be learning about that for the first time this morning. It's a serious story of warning. I will tell you that. Here's the context of the story. Number 16, Israel, God's people Israel, had been liberated from being enslaved in Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They did not have faith to go into the promised land. And so God, in his discipline, that that people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years before they would cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. And so in that 40-year wilderness journey, uh, Israel... Let's just say they. Let's just say. Let's just say they struggled a little bit. Uh, there were um, there were tough moments of trusting God and faith. Uh, episodes of murmuring, uh, complaining, and then literal rebellion. Number sixteen is an episode of that. Here's the story. Korah wasn't just a dude. Like he's not just like a dude with a family in Israel wandering around. He's like one of the leaders. And he, like, he goes to, like, 250 of other leaders within Israel. This room, I think the fire code there, what does it say there? 265. We're probably around 250 in here right now. This is this many people. So Korah gets all of you. And we're like, we're going to go against Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron were God's chosen anointed leaders for Israel. Let's just say that Moses wasn't having any of it. Uh, Famous line in number 16, Moses says, you have gone too far. And I hear that and I go, I I think about, you know, maybe, maybe some of you in the room may have heard your mama when you were young saying something like, I don't think so. Or your dad saying something like, you better think about that twice, young man, right? Like, you've gone too far, Korah. And so Moses proposes a test to prove the source of his own authority. Korah, shockingly, did not pass the test. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men and their families, and the earth swallowed them up. If you didn't know the story, now you do. It's in the Bible, number 16. You can go and read that later. Why am I telling you this? Why am I talking about Korah's Rebellion? Because Paul picks up the story in our text today. And he quotes a line from Numbers 16 in 2 Timothy 2.19, and it's this line, the Lord knows who are his. He knows who are his. It's necessary 
and the wandering of Israel in the wilderness, it was necessary that God show who truly belonged to him and who did not. And it was necessary in first century Ephesus in the church that Paul was encouraging Timothy to stand for truth in that community, in that culture, in that church. Kor's Rebellion is a serious warning about false teaching and false living. The language of our text today is also a serious warning about false teaching and false living. Here are a few things that you will hear as I read the text with you aloud today. You will hear this line, turn away from wickedness. You will hear, flee evil desires. You will hear, escape from the trap of the devil who has taken people captive to do his will. 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 16, Paul is confronting false teaching and false living. It's a serious text about serious matters. And it's why I love taking scripture book by book by book. It's why, it's why I prefer and love taking a book and looking at it verse by verse and just picking right up. Because I will tell you, I probably wouldn't choose this text for us this morning, necessarily, because it is strong language about serious issues that need our serious attention. But this is the word of God. And I guess my heart in this as your pastor is to say this, let's not be unwilling to engage in serious text and serious warnings. Let's not be unwilling. Let us allow the word of God to train us in righteousness, correct us, rebuke us even in the way of Jesus so that we are transformed and grow and change and we're liberated in the way of Jesus, amen? So this might be challenging for you. It's been challenging for me, but let's not, let's not move away from the loving, gracious discipline of the Lord. It's always for our good. It's always for our good. The warning is rooted in grace that empowers us. Grace empowers us to see and overcome deception and the dangerous entanglement of sin in our life. God's word and God's work is always freedom for the captives. It's always more grace to those who humble themselves. So let us humble ourselves and receive what God has for us today. I'm gonna start with the first seven verses of our text, and then we'll get to the end of the passage. So read along with me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 21. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul says in 14, keep reminding them of these things. Keep reminding them of what things? Keep reminding them of the things that I had just spoken with you about at the beginning of the chapter. Everything that we talked about last week, keep reminding them about these things. Keep reminding them that God is always faithful. Keep reminding them to be strong in grace. Keep reminding them that salvation is only found in Jesus. Keep reminding them to endure hardship. Keep reminding them that God's word is not chained. It is alive 
and it is for our good. Keep reminding them of these things. And also warn them. Remind them of the gospel. And Timothy, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. So do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows who are his. That's the, that's the quote from number 16. The Lord knows who are his and, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Word picture. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some are for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, from the ignoble, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, sanctified, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. This is a a word specific to Timothy's leadership in Ephesus, the need to resist false teaching and to warn people about false living in the way of ungodliness. And here is the word. It is Remind them of the gospel. Remind them, remind them. And also warn, warn them. The language around reminding them and warning them in the Greek language is in the present tense. So it's not just a once-off reminder and a once-off warning. It's a pastoral call on Timothy to keep reminding the people of God Keep reminding them of the gospel and also keep warning them. These are serious days. These are serious matters. These are serious falsehood teaching, heretical teaching that is literally ruining people's lives. Warn them, awaken them. What are the issues that needed warning that Paul speaks about? Two things. Verbal quarreling about words and godless chatter. Remind them of the gospel and warn the people of God about verbal quarreling and godless chatter. Warn them. Verbal quarreling and godless chatter is the opposite of edifying people. Would you agree? And Paul says in verse 14, quarreling, godless chatter, it ruins 
people's, like people's lives are at stake here. The word ruin in verse 14, the Greek word is catastrophe, spelled with a K and not a C. Like when we allow quarreling and godless chatter to run amok among the people of God, it literally destroys the community. These are serious issues. And I, I, I would say not just the community of faith, but any relationship. Like any relationship that you care about, when we open the door for quarreling and godless chatter to come in, it spreads, it infects, and it destroys relationships. Word picture, the gangrene story. Let me give you some fair warning about that. Maybe don't go Google gangrene and look at the images that come up on your computer. Because I was like, maybe I should do that and then throw it up on the slide. But then I was like, no, no. You're welcome, Emily. We're not, we're not gonna do that. Um, I'll just say this. It's real nasty. It, it's a loss of blood supply that causes your body tissue to die. It would have been a very clear metaphor for Timothy in the first century where there were no antibiotics. So he would have immediately thought of times in his life when he saw that in people's own lives. He's like, this is what happens internally to the body of Christ. It's literally like gangrene, bro. The threat was real. People's lives were literally at stake and Timothy was not to be ashamed to make a stand for the truth of the living God. He called him a workman. When you see the word workman in scripture, it almost always relates to farming or agriculture. And this was one of the illustrations in Paul's um, message to Timothy last week that we talked about. We think about a farm, a farmer known for diligence and hard work, like that's, you gotta get gritty on this, bro. Like, and he says, do your best. Do your best as a workman in this fight for the gospel of Christ. You've heard me say this before, if you've been around Two Rivers for any amount of time, uh, and I believe it bears repeating, the gospel of grace is opposed to earning but it is not opposed to our effort. It is not opposed to our participating in the work of God and the liberating of people's lives. And so when I read this, when I read Paul writing to Timothy, do your best as a workman. Like I don't read this and think, man, Paul is being a little too hard on Timothy here by calling him to do his best and to be a workman like a farmer, like an intentional, diligent, hardworking, gritty farmer. I don't believe he's being too hard on Timothy. And the reason why I believe that is as a coach and as a father, I say, do your best all the time. All the time. I can often be heard saying, just do your best, do your best. All that you can ask of yourself and all that I can ask of you is do your best. That's what, that's what Paul is encouraging Timothy toward. We, Timothy, we get to do our best as workmen in this fight for the truth that sets people free and brings people to freedom and hope and healing in their lives. This is a good work and an important work. 
We get to make a stand for truth, unashamed. Because people's lives are literally at stake. And here was, here was the teaching that was ruining people's lives. This is the exact example that Paul is using about this teaching in Ephesus that was spreading like gangrene. The teaching was that the resurrection had already taken place. Speaking of, speaking of the resurrection of Christ, speaking of the resurrection of believers, speaking of the second coming of Jesus, like the, 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 the belief the, the, the false teaching, the resurrection had already taken place. And I want to explain to you how serious this teaching was both then and now. Gnosticism was perhaps the most dangerous heretical teaching that threatened, literally was threatening the early church during the first three centuries Gnostics believed that material creation was evil, and they held contempt for belief in bodily resurrection. Therefore, therefore, anything done in the body, even the grossest of sin, had no meaning at all because... Real life exists in the spiritual realm only. Now, what does that practically, how does that practically work itself out in real life as we are living our lives? That belief, that system of thought, like the resurrection's already taken place. Well, it leads to a moral indifference in our lives. And it blinds believers to the call for sacrificial service. It blinds believers that our bodies are literally the temples of the Holy Spirit. And it lends people to a moral indifference in terms of their life. And so how does that destroy, ruin people's faith? Well, first and foremost, the bodily resurrection of Christ from the dead is the very center and the foundation of our faith and our hope and our peace. Amen? Christianity, without the resurrection of the body, ceases to be Christianity. And in asserting that the resurrection had already occurred, false teachers deny the resurrection of Christ and the future resurrection of believers, and it lends itself to people living with moral indifference, and it was spreading like gangrene, and it was ruining people's lives. Moral indifference ruins people's lives. And so the exhortation to Timothy was necessarily serious and very straightforward. God's foundation stands firm. The Lord knows who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn, must turn, repent from wickedness. Turn away from the false teaching and turn away from false living of moral in difference. We spent a good amount of time in 1 Timothy back in the fall talking about the ebb and flow of 1 Timothy, Paul talking about our theology matters, 
the, and the integrity of our lives matter. And that they need to be in alignment, not perfectly, because no one is perfect. But that our theology matters and our integrity matters. And the call from Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy, and now again in 2 Timothy, is the same. In ministry, Timothy, your integrity matters. And I would say in life, my life, your life, our life, our witness, our ministry our life today, integrity matters. Not legalistic moralism. I am not up here talking to you, proclaiming to you, preaching to you about legalistic moralism. That's not what Paul is talking about and that's not what I'm talking about because that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Legalistic moralism lends itself, leads people to arrogant ego, judgment, elitism, or it leads people to hiding in shame and self-abasement. And that is not abundant life. That is not the way of Jesus. That is not being made holy. That is not being made holy, being sanctified for a noble purpose. But grace-empowered love of God, mercy of God, Peace of God, strength of God, discipline of God lends itself to true holiness, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. God has given us a noble purpose, Timothy. And this is why he begins the next section, and it starts with flee evil desires, because evil desires and wickedness does not align with noble purposes of the kingdom of God. And so, serious language, serious warning, flee evil desires and pursue faith, righteousness, love, and peace. And so this will get us to the end of the chapter. Verse 22, flee evil desires of youth, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful, those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, a changing of their minds, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Serious language, serious warning, serious matters, People's lives were at stake. There's a lot of advice. Uh, not, not the right word, Swain. Uh, exhortation, strong warning about handling controversy here. Would you agree? And notice the progression of thought from Paul from verse 22 to verse 
26, he begins with like, hey man, like don't get caught up in foolish, stupid arguments. Like that's where it begins. And then by the end of the chapter, he's talking about literally people that have been, the, the, the devil himself has set a trap and they are being held captive. So progression, slippery slope, right? Slippery slope. And so I hope and I pray that this warning for us awakens us to the slippery slope in our lives of quarreling, of holding resentments and moral indifference. And I just believe that the, the, the word of God is living and active and it's useful to correct us and train us in righteousness. So let us come under it for our good and the benefit of our church and our witness to our community. A lot of, lot of things for us to consider here. Um, I'm gonna start with verse 22. This is my paraphrase. Follow hard after righteousness together. Together is always better, amen? Together is always better. Why, do I, why did I put together in there? Because, Paul says, pursue righteousness along with those who call on the name of the Lord. We're doing this together as a community of faith. Remember Onesiphorus, if you were here a few weeks ago? I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Um, Doc, you said his name different. We were speaking after. It's pretty close. Okay, thank you. We'll just go with Onesiphorus. Um, Remember this line? Paul's in prison. He speaks about Onesiphorus and he says, he searched hard for me until he found me. And when he found Paul, Paul was refreshed. I believe they were following hard after righteousness together, don't you? And they were refreshing each other. The commands of fleeing and pursuing. And you can't just kind of like, hey, we need to just kind of like flee evil, youthful desires and kind of like cruise toward righteousness and love. It's, no, the language is, it is gritty, isn't it? It is like intentional, requires effort, and we need each other. Paul is certainly not communicating to Timothy that he can just sit passively by here. And so if there is a, an issue in my life around quarreling, if there is an issue in my life around resentment, if there's an issue in my life around moral indifference, do you think me just sitting passively by will help me in any way? Of course not. Of course not. We must flee and pursue together. Verse 23, there's no fruit in foolish and stupid arguments. Raise your hand if you've ever been in a foolish and stupid argument where emotion, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) He's married to her. Hey, me too, right? We're a family. I I literally, I should have said, don't raise your hands. But I think the reality of this, like, who's been in a foolish and stupid argument where the emotions got the best of us? Probably everyone in the room. Right, so we're just, we're all at the foot of the cross here asking the Lord to help give us insight and strength and growth and process. And I just, I mean, the language in the Bible, I mean, the Bible's like 
Foolish and stupid arguments are real, aren't they? When I read this, I think about like that, like a high school guy or maybe like a college dude and he's like out in Old Town on like a Friday night and he's just there hanging out with his homies, you know, and he just walks by and he just notices a guy and for some reason, Drew just goes, what are you looking at? And I'm like literally like one second, I like see this guy, I'm just, I'm just what are you looking at? I was like, I'm looking, what are you looking at? <laughs> You want something? Yeah, I want something. You want to take this outside? Like, I just go like, how stupid is that? Like, how immature is that? And it happens all the time. And foolish arguments, and if you're married, you know this to be true. How many times, those of us who are married in the room, we get into some like big, huge conflict ordeal, and the conflict started over like, Parking. <laughs> Where we're parking. Or perhaps it started over. What's for dinner? What's for dinner? Directions. Toilet paper roll. Are we going over? Are we going under? Over. Yes, we're always going over. We're always going over. Always going over. But here, we're laughing because we know. But the reality is, how many of us that are married or how many of us that have a sibling or a boyfriend or girlfriend or a friend or a roommate, it's all of us, right? Something starts so, it's foolish and stupid and it ends up in yelling and screaming and quarreling. Foolish, stupid arguments grow into quarreling, which is not the call of the Lord's servant. It's not our call. One of the commentaries I read quoted a guy, R. R. W. Ward, never heard of this guy, but the commentary was from like in the 1970s. So it's pretty old because I'm old. I was born in the 70s. So this is old. But this is, I thought this was really kind of a profound statement. Uninformed men rejoice in a verbal victory and angels weep at the damage done to the witness of the church. Controversies are prolific, spawning quarrels and fights to the third and the fourth generation. Lord, change Change me. Sobering, isn't it? Proverbs. Speak about this all the time. I'll give you two. Proverbs 27, 17. A man of knowledge uses words with restraint. A man of understanding is even tempered. You have not been given a spirit of fear. You've been given a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Proverbs 26, 4, do not answer a fool according to his folly. Timothy, you gotta stay clear of the foolish, stupid arguments, man. Stay clear of the minutia. They wanna bait you. 
and get you wrapped up in this stupid argument. This is kind of fun today because I get to say stupid all the time because it's right in the text. And you can't send me an email about it because I'm like, hey, it's right there in the Bible. (laughs) Paul and Timothy, don't let this distract you from the main thing. Handle the word of truth. People's lives are at stake. Our call is to set people free. Now, let me say a note on this. I don't believe that Paul is prohibiting intelligent, probing, honest, respectful, theological discussion about important matters. What he is pressing against is useless, immature, emotionally charged arguments that do nothing but divide and confuse people. And we must develop a discernment that distinguishes between those two options. And sometimes, maybe most of the time, the best option is to simply stay quiet or walk away. That's not easy, is it? It's not easy. If you want to do some reading around the power of the tongue... Go read James chapter one. Really, really famous verse from James one. Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Is that easy? No, it is not easy. It takes intentionality. We must flee evil, youthful desires, and we must pursue righteousness, love, peace, hope together. It's not easy But God has given us what we need, and we have one another. Slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Verse 24 and 25 give us, I think, four positive traits in doing our best as workmen and as workwomen for the truth. Kindness, able to teach, not resentful, gentle instruction. Does, it, does Paul say, Timothy, you, you need to be kind to those who are kind to you? Is that what it says in the text? It says, no, bro, like you have to learn to be kind to who? Everyone. Is that easy? Whew. No. Let me ask you an honest question. Has a foolish and stupid argument where you got emotionally charged and the other person got emotionally charged, did that ever change your mind? Did your mind ever get changed in that? Did you change someone else's mind in that? Like, have you ever said, you know what? You are really good at yelling. (laughs) And my respect for you is growing. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for helping change my mind. Connor and I, we just say we like the Navy SEALs. Like the Navy SEALs, uh, respect them. I'm, I just, I don't have enough room up here. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because those, like, those men and women, they are, you talk about intentionality and discipline and work, right? 
And you'd think like a Navy SEAL would just be like the most intimidating person out there. You may have heard of a Navy SEAL. His name is Jocko Willick. He wrote a book called Discipline is Freedom. Connor sends me a video this week of Jocko Willick basically saying, like, if you are, if you are a yeller, you are out of control and you are immature. Be, I didn't, I'm not saying that to you. I'm just quoting a Navy SEAL who's saying that to you and to me. I don't believe that foolish, stupid arguments that are emotionally charged where there is yelling changes people's minds. I believe that it's kindness. Not easy. That is why we must pursue hard after righteousness together. Romans chapter two, it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. This doesn't mean we're jellyfish. It doesn't mean we're pushovers. It doesn't mean we're weak, but it does mean that we are called to be kind, able to teach. I just wanna encourage, not every issue, not every thing that, comes into the church that needs to be dealt with. Not every controversy, not every argument means that you carry the responsibility to do the teaching. That God has given people in the church, people that are called and gifted to teach. And so there's an opportunity for you to come alongside someone and grow next to someone, but not every controversy, not every argument is mine or yours. Like we are not the Messiah to solve every issue, God has given people with the gifting to teach, to help instruct. Not resentful. Bitterness and resentment is full of unrestrained emotion. It is not helpful. It leads to quarreling on quarreling. Would you agree? What is resentment? Resentment is I am... You have hurt me, you have harmed me. I, I hold a right to harm you and I, I will have it. I wanna cuss right now just to make a point, but I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I will have it and we will not let it go. The NASB translates the word that the NIV translated not resentful. The NASB translates the word patient when wronged. Is it easy to be patient when wronged? Is that easy? Not for me, it's not. That's why we must pursue hard after righteousness together. It's not easy to be patient when wronged, but it's godly. Gentle instruction, this is a call for a patient spirit without a weakening of Timothy, you must fight the good fight of faith. I think of kindness, able to teach, not resentful, gentle instruction. The word that comes to mind is meekness. The meekness of Jesus Christ. Strength under control. Strength under control. All right, let's, let's finish this. What is the goal? What is the goal of kindness? What's the goal of able to teach, what's the goal of gentle instruction, not holding resentments? It's freedom, it's always freedom, church. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's always freedom. It's deliverance for captives. 
the verb for taking them captive, when it says the devil set a trap and he's taking them captive, the verb for taking them captive literally means that the enemy is seeking who to literally capture alive. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. This is a serious issue. What's the goal? What's the hope? Well, Paul says what the hope is. Verse 24, the hope that God will grant them, that God will grant them repentance, changing of mind, which leads to changing of life, to a knowledge of the truth, not false teaching, not false living, right believing, right living, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil. I wanna encourage you to underline in verse 25 where it says, God will grant them. Paul doesn't say to Timothy, you will grant them in your kindness and your ability to teach and you not holding resentments about the people that are really, honestly, they're kind of ticking you off. And I get that because ministry isn't, isn't easy and people are frustrating and people are people and all that's true. But don't be resentful because people's lives are at stake, gentle instruction. And he doesn't tell Timothy, and you are responsible for getting them to repentance. That is not Timothy's work. It's not my work, it's not your work, it's not any of our work. God will grant them. Timothy can't produce real change in people's lives. I can't produce real change in people's lives. God can and does produce real change by his kindness, by his love, by his grace, his mercy. God grants repentance. We get the privilege of participating. Do your best to be a workman. Do your best to be a workwoman. We get the gift to participate in the work of God of setting people free. Hallelujah. Our kindness gets to align with God's kindness, but it's God that's setting people free. Timothy isn't the Savior. Jesus is. I am not the Savior. Jesus is. You are not the Savior. Jesus is. And we get to come alongside the Savior in the liberation of people's lives and the healing and the hope of people's lives. That's the invitation. I want to remind you of the gospel. I want to warn you about these things. Let me close worship team. You can come back up. I want to close with a verse from last week, 2 Timothy 2.10, and then we will worship together in response. There'll be some Prayer ministry is available down front if you want to spend some time talking and praying uh, with them is in, in response to the message. Um, close with this. Therefore, why is it therefore, therefore? Because God's word is not chained. It is alive. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect or for the sake of those who believe or who have yet to believe. That they, too, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that this passage and that this message that you have given through this broken vessel... Lord, would be a, a fresh reminder of the liberating, empowering, healing, 
delivering truths of the gospel and a helpful, strong warning around deception in our lives and living captive to that deception. And so, Lord, I speak freedom and deliverance, hope and healing. In the name of Jesus, by the power of his blood, I pray, I pray, Lord, over whatever circumstance is in my brother or sister's mind and heart right now, And their feeling is, Lord, there is no way through this. There is no way for deliverance. And I speak against the shame and the fear and the doubt. And I speak the name of Jesus, reigning over, healing over, delivering over. And that you, Lord, would stir faith our faith. Lord, I pray for a kind, gracious, merciful conviction of the Holy Spirit, reminding us that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, and that, Lord, we are empowered to flee wickedness, moral indifference, quarreling, resentment, anything, Lord, that keeps us from the full shalom of God. Lord, I pray a deliverance, a courage, an empowerment of fleeing and pursuing your righteousness, your love, your peace. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.